Pasa Mufasa. Welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Mrs. Vicious, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. How are things in Hazel Park, Michigan today? It's a beautiful sunny day here. Gorgeous out. So why don't we start there? I, I believe you're the founder of Decrim Nature Hazel Park. How did that whole role come about for you? Like, how did you first get interested in working with Decrim Nature? And, and what's that process looking like for you right now? So the cool thing is we've already decriminalized mushrooms. We were successful here. Uh, that happened on March 22nd of this year. Uh, the city council uh, approved our language and our resolution, and we accomplished our goal in Hazel Park of decriminalizing mushrooms. We are the third city in Michigan to do so. So I'm so proud of my team and all the hard work. We've been working on that for about two years. It looks easy. It was not easy. How I got started in that, you know, uh, it really starts with Mrs. Vicious in, in general. and. That started in 2018, and I just started using my social media to advocate for plant medicine, essentially. Like, it really started there, and I ended up joining Decrim Nature Ann Arbor, and we were successful there. Uh, helped out with Decrim Nature Detroit. We were successful there. Um, and people just, you know, Hazel Park was the next thing to do. It's the next most progressive city in Michigan. I'm not sure if you, you said you're not super familiar with Hazel Park, but they're dubbed the friendly city. <laughs> it's a really easygoing, lots of young up and coming families, um, really progressive attitudes about most things. And, and it was just a natural thing for me to do. I have friends and family that live in Hazel Park. I have business interests in Hazel Park as well. So it was kind of a natural thing to go there. I met with city council the first time and I asked them, what can I do to get this resolution passed? What do I need to do? What do you want to see me do? What do you want to see out of the community, out of our group? And, and they gave me a framework. They asked me to make sure that I had a website. We were accessible to the public if they had any questions about safety or usage and dosage, things like that. They asked us to go out in the community and just be a part of Hazel Park. So we started going to events. So for two years, we went to events. We would go to, um, they had like business in the park. So we, we bought a booth and set up our booth and started just educating people, passing out flyers, talking to city council members, talking to people in the community, talking to the police. And we did that for two years. And finally, after two years, we were successful. Uh, we, we took our resolution back to city council in September of 2021. And we just asked for a push. We were like, okay, we want to vote now. We want to vote now. And they told us to be patient um, and that they were looking into some things um, and asked us to come back in 2022. And we did. And they finally made a decision and voted on it. Hell yeah. It sounds like you've got the magic touch. You're like three for three right there on campaign. So if anybody listening at, in any part of the U.S. wants the 
secret sauce. You better tap in with Mrs. Vicious and fantastic work. So congratulations on that. I guess I'll have to go to the next party of the next decriminalized city whenever that happens, hopefully soon, because there's many cities where it needs to happen. So you mentioned that getting involved with decrim nature, Hazel Park, really was a byproduct of Mrs. Vicious. And that is my next question is, how did Mrs. Vicious start, right? Like once upon a time, there were a lot of us who were interested in mushrooms and we were kind of doing it on the down low and on the underground. And then in the last few years, like people started being more public facing and more confident, you know, maybe some people sooner than others and whatnot. But I feel like there is a calculated decision you have to make between being involved with working with mushrooms in the underground and deciding to kind of create a brand or a company or a persona that's public facing. And I think a lot of people are feeling a sense of permission more so now than maybe a couple years ago. But certainly like yourself, like you decided at some point, like, I'm going to go for it. It's worth it to me to be public facing and to educate my community and to get involved in this movement that's happening. So what are the origins of Mrs. Vicious? Okay. So when I first started, it was uh, Mrs. Vicious, uh, the brand itself started in 2018. I suffered postpartum depression. Uh, my story is out there everywhere now, but I suffered from postpartum depression. I didn't leave my house for like six months. Solid. I gained a bunch of weight. I was lethargic, super depressed, filled with anxiety, just generalized anxiety about everything. So yeah, it put me into this pit of despair, essentially. And my husband and I uh, tried to do pharmaceuticals. We went to my normal doctor. I got prescribed Xanax, of course, everybody's favorite. Xanax, uh, Celexa, uh, Wellbutrin was one in there as well. So for like a year and a half, we like tried these different medications up and down from 2017 through 2018, up and down different milligrams, different dosages, different pills. And I finally uh, asked my doctor, I was like, well, well, what are we going to do if this doesn't work? What do we do? And her response was just so, we'll just try this. We'll just, we'll just, we'll up the milligrams here and we'll try this one if that one doesn't work. And none of it was working. I had treatment resistant depression. That stuff didn't work for me. I was still having crazy symptoms, mood swings, anxiety attacks, just bad relationships with the people around me because I was so uncomfortable with myself. We found magic mushrooms. I think John Hopkins University had put out their website on their psychedelic center for research. So my husband and I were sending articles back and forth, like, hey, look at this. This looks promising. Let's check this out. We acquired mushrooms. Like any, any person who's like in a desperate situation like that, is willing to do what they can do. So I was suicidal at that time. I had suicidal ideations and I'm totally open and willing to share that with people now because people need to know like that's how serious the situation was for me at that time. So we started dosing me out on mushrooms. I think the first two or three months we noticed results pretty significantly. Um, I wasn't healed or anything like that. I'm still not fully healed. I think that's a lifelong process, to be honest. But just the anxiety, <laughs> the panic attacks, the uh, the worrying, all that stuff kind of subsided. And I just, I needed to know more. I wanted to know more. I started cultivating and, and I actually found Baba Kalindi. This is the crazy thing and how I got involved into all this stuff. On YouTube, just looking up information because... When you're inquisitive and, and researching, that's what happens. I ended up coming across Baba Kalindi. 
and I just, I went in full. I just, I, I looked at every single YouTube I could find. I, I watched them multiple times. I found his website. I found him on Instagram. <laughs> I messaged him on Instagram and I was like, Hey, I want to meet you. Like I'm from Detroit too. Hey, let's meet up. Like, um, are you teaching any classes? I essentially annoyed the shit out of Baba Kalindi. <laughs> and he was like, hold on. <laughs> He's like, just relax. I have a class coming up. I, you can, you can join the class. And I also have a psychedelic conference coming up. So he told me about, about the Detroit psychedelic conference, which thank God, that's how I uh, met and connected with so many other people, which is later down the story. But I took Baba Kalindi's class the next year. I was cultivating myself for a while wasn't super successful. I'd like get one offs and, you know, some cakes would take off and then I'd try to move to bigger tubs and whatnot. And it just wasn't successful. So I wanted to really take his class to learn how to cultivate better. I had no intentions of like learning anything spiritual or just, I, I, that's not what I went there for. But when I went and I met Baba Lindy and I, I went and took his class and I met all these wonderful, amazing people. And I met black people that did mushrooms like it sounds like oh whatever no in the area that I'm that I live in right now and in a lot of places there's not a lot of black people that are cultivating mushrooms or even using mushrooms it's still a little bit taboo in our community and I'm working on changing that stigma right now that's part of the work I'm doing but I was I was excited I was so excited and happy to meet him and to meet other um, black cultivators and women and just, just a variety of people. And we came together and we spent, you know, it was a 12 hour long class. We were together all day. We like had lunch at, you know, with him and his wife, Mama Ayana, who I met and um, his granddaughter. And that was cool. And then from there, uh, Baba Kalindi was talking about the Ann Arbor movement and the Detroit movement. I didn't know about any of that stuff. So I joined the Ann Arbor. Um, it was actually not called Decrim Nature Ann Arbor yet. It was called the Michigan Psychedelic Society. That's what it was originally called. And then we turned into Decrim Nature Ann Arbor. But yeah, I just started getting involved and I just felt the need to tell more people about how amazing the plant was and I ended up learning spirituality in between. <laughs> I've probably seen most of those Baba Kalindi Igi YouTube videos that you watch because once you catch wind of his legacy and his body of work, it absolutely sucks you in. I've yet to see someone command an audience in a room when talking about the mushroom experience as well as he does. And it's just fascinating. I never had a chance to meet him, but I was certainly a disciple of his from a remote distance and paying attention. and. When I first got into mushrooms, I kind of happened upon the higher dose realms because as a kid in the suburbs, I didn't really have access to a lot of knowledge about it, but I did have access to Terrence McKenna books, you know, like a lot of us psychonauts did. And he was an advocate for like the five gram doses. And my logic told me like, well, I had a phenomenal experience early on with seven grams because I bought them in eights. You know, I didn't necessarily even have access to bulk. It was like people sold them by the eighth. I thought, well, 3.5 grams. I tried that and like I was very comfortable. Terrence McKenna saying five grams, but like I don't have a scale. So like, I don't know how to measure out five grams. So I'm just gonna take seven grams. 
Well, then the next natural extension from there is like, I wonder how 14 grams is. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the safest way to go about it, but like Baba Kalindi Ii really sucked me back into that um, world of like the high dose experience and, and uh, fascinating watching him talk about, you know, the higher dose ranges. And I'm still learning a lot, obviously, as we all are. So you tapped in a little bit to cultivation right there. And I want to talk about cultivation and you kind of just alluded to this or dove into it a little bit, but like for me, cultivation never came easily or naturally, right? It's something like I constantly have to work at, like I'm bootstrapping it. I don't have a flow hood or any of that. I'm still using a still air box. I'm still using, you know, a lot of like trash bags that I'm cutting. And it, it's kind of awesome to see that that works, but also there's a lot of margin for error. Like it's, there's nothing like having two tubs going and you're just pumped for it. And then like weeks into it, you get the contam or whatever. So I just love to hear about like some of the things that you've learned that helped streamline your ability to be a successful cultivator. Because I think for a lot of people, when it doesn't come naturally or easy to you, it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to just say, all right, I'm just going to source them from somewhere else. But in a sense, like, I think that relationship, when you invest in cultivating yourself and learning how to do it, like there's this whole other angle, there's this whole other dynamic that's worth exploring there. So I would love to hear a little bit about like some of the changes you made or even mentality and mindset changes from, you know, being frustrated and getting contam to like becoming a confident, successful cultivator that is Mrs. Vicious today. That is where Baba Clindy comes into play. Um, he gave me confidence. He taught me, and I'm so glad we're having this conversation. It is so much simpler than we think. We're overthinking, over prepping, over sterilizing so much stuff in this process. I, Baba Clindy literally filled up tubs with no gloves. I think maybe he had alcohol. I don't even know. I don't even know if he had alcohol. He just like washed his hands. Because that literally you will get to that point where in mycology you will figure out you don't need plastic liners. You, you know, you don't need a flow hood. You can do fine with your still air box. And what I do now, I call it ghetto teching. Um, I don't show as much on Instagram anymore of my cultivation because I, my page gets reported immediately. And I've gone through at least three Instagram pages within the last five years. But yeah, I used to show uh, home cultivation all the time. And it, I called it ghetto teching. Uh, for a flow hood, you don't have a flow hood, that's fine. Get a filter, get a fan. Baba Clindy, like, it was one that inspired me and showed me that. Like, hey, you don't have to be hindered by these expensive pieces of equipment. That is a mental barrier. And in some cases, you know, if your environment's too bad, of course, there's there's those barriers as well, which we can talk about, but it's super easy. Um, if you don't have that space, you can do this in your kitchen with the oven open in front of the warm air. So it's sterilizing the air. There are things that you can do to make this so much simpler. And I'm so, so happy that like that's coming out too. Like it's cool to have a big flow hood and you know, a $5,000 flow hood. Not everybody has $5,000. I didn't have $5,000 to get a flow hood when I started. I started in front of a box fan. I use a still air box, just like you. I still use a still air box. Yes, I will upgrade one day, but my mushrooms won the psilocybin cup in Michigan last year. So it doesn't, I mean, I, I'd say it helps, but I don't think it's going to hinder you completely to not have that big stuff. Just make sure your environment is clean. Make sure that you are taking precautions um, with your work, but eventually you'll learn 
tips and tricks and you'll figure out what your flow is and how you work best um, that you don't have to have to worry about competing with a $5,000 flow hood. I don't worry about it. I was worried about it. Not worried about it anymore. Like once you have a, a impactful psychedelic mushroom experience, it's hard to look at the world in the same way. And I, I accord great respect and I, I'm fascinated by them and I'm fascinated by the people who work with them. And that's sort of where I see this idea of a micropreneur. It's like you have people bringing their different professional backgrounds, their different visions and skills and abilities and fusing them with mushrooms. And I think that that has tremendous transformative potential as we've seen for communities and for society at a broader scale. Let's talk about microdosing because it's something that so many people are so interested in. You know, I had never heard of microdosing or microdose until probably a year ago, to be honest. You know, like I certainly ate small amounts of mushrooms because I was like, oh, I'm going to a party or, you know, I'm very comfortable as you said you were when you go out and it's like, you find that sweet spot for yourself. But like, I had never heard of a microdosing protocol. And obviously there's a tremendous amount of interest in that. And I've tried a few to varying degrees of success, but like, I'd love to hear about when you first tapped into microdosing, did you find a sweet spot immediately or did it take some trial and error for you to find a dosage and a protocol that works for you and that delivered results? And would love it if you could share a little bit about your journey with smaller doses of mushrooms. Yeah, I am the I am the microdosing queen. <laughs> um, I love microdosing. All of my products that I make are all in microdose form. Everything that I make, um, and there's two reasons for that. Uh, the first reason is so that people don't have to think about what they're taking and sitting there weighing things out. And two, um, I love microdosing. That's what really helped me. Um, with my anxiety and to and helped ease me into larger doses as I, as I grew in my journeys. Um, there, the approach that I took. So once again, I did my own research. I looked up the Stamets stack. I think that was the f original protocol I was kind of following, which is two or three days a week. Um, I've since learned about the Fatiman approach, which is again, two, two to three days a week. Um, I kind of figured out my own dose through trial and error, like most of us have to go through. Unfortunately, there is no perfect dose. I can't tell you, Dennis, like, yes, 0.33 is perfect for your weight and height because it doesn't matter. I can meet somebody who weighs exactly as much and is my exact height and their dosage level is just different. It took me some time to dial that in. I would say that took me probably the longer. Uh, that took me almost a year to figure out what was best for me. And sometimes lower is best for me. 0.17, sometimes I'm good on 0.17. That's all I need. And other times I might have a different strain or cube type, so I need a little bit more. Um, so I take a half a gram. It's really, there's so many variables. It's really hard to tell anybody what their microdose level is going to be, including myself. I can't even tell you, but I do stick in between probably like 0.17 um, to like a half gram usually for my microdoses. Right now I'm on a schedule for myself where I do three to four days a week. Um, I do a macro dose at once a month, um, just a nice reset for myself. And sometimes I skip my ma my macro. It doesn't mean I'm sticking to any one protocol. So I think that's okay too for everybody. Sure, and uh, for me, it's so much about what you do around your mushroom experiences, right? It's like how you're 
creating healthy and sustainable habits and whatnot. And I think like in my case, you know, when I eat mushrooms immediately after for at least like a week or so, I'm motivated to eat healthy. Now I should eat healthy all the time. I know this, but like, you know, after having a mushroom experience, when I'm out at a restaurant or when we're cooking, like I'm wired to know, like, I need to eat healthy. But it's those kinds of things, I think, that really show you value in the long term. There's a scientific reason for that happening. Just 90% of your serotonin is in your gut. So when you're in eating these mushrooms and ingesting mushrooms, they're literally correcting your gut biome and they're trying to kick out the bad stuff and making sure you're getting the good stuff. Your body literally starts to crave vitamins and nutrients from these fruits and vegetables that you may or may not have been lacking in. There, there is it's perfectly normal. And I think that happens with a lot of people. That's actually how I ended up losing like 40 pounds. Literally. Um, it wasn't that I like started exercising and dieting, but when I started microdosing, I just naturally craved better, healthier foods. Like your body just, the mushrooms knows. And they're like, no, this is what you're eating. You're not, you're not eating chocolate cake. You're eating fruits and vegetables today. So yeah, you're right. Go mushrooms, go mushrooms. I got to listen to them more often. Yeah, they're fantastic. So I'd love to hear about like, if you had any particular insights or lessons maybe you learned from a psychedelic experience that you applied in your life. And I'll give you an example. Like one time for me, I didn't actually even eat these mushrooms, but I think I was probably 21, 22 years old. And I had some psilocybin mushrooms, some golden teachers or something. That I put in my pillowcase because I was like, all right, I want to I want to bond with you. You know, I want to feel the connection. So like I'm going to sleep next to you. And it was so I would call it a miracle, a mini miracle. And that I had two complete phrases whispered into my ear that I don't think I'm witty enough to have come up with on my own. So I attribute it to having that close proximity with the mushrooms. So in this case, like I didn't even learn it from an experience. It was just like being in close proximity to them. And the two key phrases that I've applied to a lot of things in my life. One of them was lose the loser attitude, which I just thought was like such like a cute, funny way. Like, wow, like I have been thinking about things in a way where like I'm the victim and this and that and the other. And I, ju I just heard this phrase like lose the loser attitude. I was like, one, oh, wow. The other one was create answers, not expectations. And I found a lot of peace in that. And like so often in my life, things when I they go wrong or whatever, it's like I have an expectation that didn't come to reality or I was let down. And rather than have these expectations, like I said about trying to create answers and trying to, you know, do the things that will lead to certain results. So, yeah, but I would just love to hear, if you, you know, anything in your life, like a lesson maybe you've learned from mushrooms that you've applied in your life. That's like a universal lesson that you just, you just shared with us. And I think that as a collective, the mushrooms definitely tell most people that. And I love that you didn't even have to trip to get it. <laughs> One thing that I was told, so all my trips are not happy. I'm not always happy. Not all my trips are positive, And I don't believe in like love and light. No, it's not real. It's not practical. Um, some of my best trips have been like four hour crying sessions and just like releasing of trauma. If I had a slogan and I do have a slogan for my brand that really came out of my mushrooms is like, man, after this like four hour cry or trauma release, like that felt so good and healing. Like I should not be, I should not have the risk of going to jail for using this fucking plant. Like literally that was one of my first inclinations after one of my first major trips, like five gram plus trips. 
the slogan was healing yourself is not a crime because it's not I'm not hurting anybody <laughs> I'm not harming anybody um, I can sustain my own mushrooms and my own cultivation so I don't really have to go out and, and you know go into these transactions with CD people or anything like that that was my biggest lesson is like fighting with my own upbringing and the stigma around drugs and drug use and what that means. That was really hard. That was a lesson because, I mean, you know, programming for you, I've always dabbled and I've always been a rebel. Like I am, but really coming out there, like you said, and like putting my face out on the brand and like showing my family and showing um, me out in the water park and I'm microdosing with my kids and things like that. Like, that was a hard thing for me to do. And I think I definitely got the message from the mushrooms that you can do this. It's going to be okay. Like people need to see this. So they provided me the assistance and the guidance and showing me that I can do this and we can do this. The more people that know how to cultivate and grow and that can take their own mental health into their hands, like the better off we're all going to be as a society. Like, we have to stop trying to control people and their bodies because this is also about body autonomy. We need to be able to do what's best for our body and our souls. And sometimes the laws don't match up with what that says. So that's why I started Decrim Nature Hazel Park, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it's something I've been tapping in with more recently talking about policy because coming from San Diego, like there's still a tremendous stigma around mushrooms. Obviously, we've got the California surfer lifestyle and this and that and the other, but like San Diego is a very conservative city. You know, it's a military city and it's still extremely taboo in a lot of social circles to even bring it up. So now that I've been more public facing, I kind of have to encounter those situations socially where people kind of like, you know, antagonize me or like almost like bully me about like, oh, it's the shrooms, you know, the shrooms. What you, you, you want a shroom, bro? Like that kind of stuff. And I found it, you know, I used to push back hard against it and like be like really crazy. And now I just try to meet people where they're at. And like, there's a lot of insufferable personalities out there. And I know this because I used to be one a lot more than I am now, right? I used to be like that person who's like, everyone needs to eat these right now. And like, I go back a little bit and just like, that's where I find grace and humor and the satire that I'm doing and just like being able to laugh about this and like, you know, have a sense of humor because I'm a bit of a rebel and a radical too. And I went to school in San Francisco, as I've shared many times on the podcast. And like, there's a tendency, especially when you're young to like get swept up into this, like really like aggressive way of pushing these things. on people. And I think that ends up having a detrimental effect a lot of times because you're like, you become unrelatable. So like something I've been trying to do where I come from and in my communities is just like, be more relatable. Like you want people to like you and think about like, hey, I want what this person's on without you pushing the mushrooms in the first place. I think that's value. Like when people are ready, they're gonna come for it. But increasingly it looks like our society is ready because a lot of things are breaking down. People are grappling with severe mental health crisis and all of these stories, like your story and my story, they're kind of bubbling to the surface and people are seeing value in them, I think. So yeah. I don't know, I was going somewhere with that tangent, but at the end of the day, I just think that uh, it's really interesting how people try to try to promote these substances, but they're really just kind of promoting themselves in a sense. And like people are coming to, you know, learn about. That's literally what, literally <laughs> what I am. Like I, that's why I don't really, I do everything. I can't tell you what Mrs. Vicious is. Are we advocates? Are we cultivators? 
we're moms, we're all of those things. But really, I was just trying to show people that with education and uh, proper resources, we can use this medicine as an alternative to pharmaceuticals if they're not working for you. That's it. And we can do it safely. We can do it as adults. We can do it in the comfort of our own home. Literally, my life is my business. Like, I can't separate the two. My lawyer tells me all the time, you need to separate the two. And I'm like, I can't. Like, He's like, stop posting that. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I can't because it's part of my life. My business is my life. And if more people would be just see that a normal person can use psychedelics and still like, you know, go play catch with their daughter or their son, that's okay. I don't need, I shouldn't be going to jail for that just because I want to be a better mom and a better parent, a better wife. So that's what Mrs. Vicious is. We are, we are a micro business that's in everything. Awesome. Awesome. It's so nice to hear it framed that way. And like, I've been waiting so long to get to a point where we could have conversations like this and feel normal and not have to feel like so polarized or siloed off. Right. Where I think once upon a time when the psychedelic revolution happened, you know, or at least in the United States in the 60s, like the fear was, you know, people were going to turn into Timothy Leary and they were going to turn into kind of these like raving lunatics. And like for my family, you know, th they haven't really ever touched psychedelics because to them it's like it's such a radical act. And I, I think it is radical in a sense. But like we're coming to a point where society has become very radicalized and it's like, can we get normal people that integrate these mushrooms into their life in a functional way without wanting to go necessarily join a commune and like change their name and stuff like that? And I know that. Yeah. And I think that's what we're starting to see is like you can be an adult, you can be a responsible person and like have compassionate relationships and stay on top of your business and all that without, you know, having to completely ostracize yourself and rem remove yourself from society. So it's a fascinating times. And thanks to people like yourself who are, you know, willing to put yourself out there and start the chapter, start the decrim nature, Hazel Park and go public facing and all that. I think we're seeing more and more people who are starting to understand this and starting to want to build out, you know, their own relationships. I'd love to talk about music. Music's such a huge part of my life. It always has been. I saw you post a Taking Back Sunday song the other day, and it brought me back to like seventh grade when I, and will you tell all your friends? Yeah. You know what? It, it just, music has a way of like triggering memories for me and taking me back to driving in the car, singing at the top of my lungs, you know, hanging out around the, the barbecue and all that. But who are some of your favorite artists that have shaped you and your journey and do you listen to music when you have your macrodoses or when you're tripping? Is there anything in particular you like to put on? Um, I do listen to music. I know a lot of people are like, oh, in the dark silence. Um, I think it depends on the person, the place, the setting. I do listen to music uh, all the time during micro and macro dosing. Um, sometimes the same song <laughs> over and over when I'm macro dosing. Oh, we've all been there. Um, some of my favorite artists are uh, Coheed and Cambria, which I'm actually going to see them next Tuesday. Um, I've been following them since I was also like a child. I was like in eighth grade when I, and I, I literally go see them every time they're in Detroit. I, it never fails. Claudio, right? Claudio is the lead singer. Yes. Claudio. Sanchez. Yeah. What's up? Yes. He's awesome. Um, they're one of my favorite bands. Dance Gavin Dance is one of my favorite bands. Um, those two are my two favorite bands right now. I listen to a lot of Detroit hip hop, like ex almost like exclusively like Detroit hip hop artists. 
if I'm not listening to like spiritual things, podcasts, uh, audiobooks, it, and and you know DGD and Taking Back Sunday, it's like Detroit stuff. I love I Swear Bezo. Babyface Ray is like my favorite artist in the world right now. Crispy Life Kid up in Flint. Ryota Young G up in Flint. Yeah, I listen to a lot of Michigan artists. Um, we have to support and <laughs> we support and yeah, I love them. Yeah, those are a few new names for me. So I'm going to, when I'm editing this, I'm going to have to open up a tab and check out some of them because I'm always looking for underground artists and new stuff and that's so cool that you listen to Dance Gavin Dance and Coheed because the post-punk kind of hardcore scene in San Diego was huge when I was in high school. So like bands like Pierce the Veil, I've seen them a few times. Yeah. And that's kind of how I got turned on to some of the artists that you just name dropped there. But it also feels like a small world. You know, they're not necessarily mainstream artists. Like they have a good following, but the, those sweaty shows and mosh pits were seminal musical experiences for me back when I was 16 or 17. Me too. <laughs> me too. I grew up in a very suburban, um, it's a very suburban area. So the music scene for me is mixed in between, yes, emo punk music and like hip hop and like R&B. It's just like a big old smorgasbord is everything. Um, I really, yeah, Pierce the Veil was one of my favorite bands as well but I went to Under Oath like a couple months ago I went to an Under Oath show and I took a friend with me <laughs> and he's like wow this is the nicest crowd I've ever been around at a concert I'm like that's that's the people they're I mean they're good people I mean that's why I like continuously going to these types of shows like the crowd's good so that definitely helps and keeps me lingering on I don't know if you've ever heard of a band called Lower Definition but they were kind of in that whole so they went to my high school, kind of random, but like, yeah. And, you know, they, they haven't been active for years, but they definitely like attained a certain cultural recognition and played with. Yeah, like they're very underground. And I, yeah, I love them too. That's so weird. I just listened to them the other day too. I was like on a nostalgia kick. Yo, they are the band to put on for nostalgia for me. The Greatest of All Lost Arts was their debut LP, of course. But they it was cool to see them evolve because they went to middle school and high school with me and I kind of saw them on their way up. And then all of a sudden they started sounding really good. You know, it's like, wow, like your demos were fun, but like now you have a polished sound. You guys are buying a van and touring and it was just really exciting. And that's how I tapped into like the Pierce the Veil scene and all that and because they're a San Diego band too. But that's really exciting. It's cool to see how music can kind of bridge these gaps even, you know, between San Diego and suburban Michigan and all that. Like we're listening to the same wavelength and yeah, you know, it's very nostalgic for me. That's awesome. Well, I'd love to, before we wrap up today, tap into any projects you want to share that you're working on right now. It sounds like you have a lot of irons in the fire. You know, you're doing all the things all in house, but we got to talk about the conference too, I guess, because before we wrap up, I know that there is a incredible conference coming up that has uh, a powerful legacy behind it and that's the detroit psychedelic conference so can you please share with us a little bit about what it's like being a part of the detroit psychedelic conference and like what people are planning for this year so yes the detroit psychedelic conference is going to be august 19th to the 21st it's going to be held at mary grove college this year so it's a much bigger space um I've only been to one previous one, which was in 2020. It was also the year that Baba Kalindi did pass away, unfortunately. Um, so this is a, a bigger venue. The venue that we had was much smaller. Uh, we're also having an after party 
right after the conference. It's about a mile down the road. But some of the people and the speakers that are going to be featured this year, um, Modu Baki is going to be there, which, you know, is a good friend of yours as well. We have Acacia Lewis speaking. Mama Ayana will be speaking. Um, Tess from Fungal Freights is going to be speaking. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Tess recently as well. She is such a wonderful wealth of knowledge and just a, a gentle human being. And I'm so excited to see what she has to bring. Um, I will have a seminar there on microdosing and motherhood. Um, it's going to be a good time. There's going to be a lot of nice, young, up-and-coming people who are getting into the industry and who've been doing work in the industry for the past few years. Um, it's a nice way to everybody to connect and has to get faces to all these Instagram names and stuff. So if you're out there and you get the chance, come to Detroit. Um, it's the Detroit Psychedelic Society.com to purchase tickets. And yeah, you can get after party tickets at uh, our Sacred After Party. It's on Instagram, Sacred After Party. Oh, you know, for people listening who may be in Michigan or in the area, I know we've got a few friends and followers and whatnot that are based around there. Like, you got to go out to these in person events. And I say that from having been to a half dozen over the last two years. And it's fun to connect with people. It's valuable to connect with people online, of course, but like there's no replacement or substitute from like tapping in with community in person, in my opinion. And like, these events are the perfect way to do it. So like, don't sleep on it too. Like don't, you know, get out there and start tapping in, tap in with Mrs. Vicious and with Tess and with Moodoo and Acacia and all of the aforementioned and everyone else. I'm sure there's a lot of other incredible people. He's right. Community is so important. Yes. Well, Mrs. Vicious, it's been an absolute pleasure to host you on the podcast. Thank you very much for coming on. And I'm looking forward to tapping in with you in person again at one of these events in the near future. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you so much. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at mycopreneur podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Michaelpreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Michaelpreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Michaelpreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Michaelpreneur podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.